Let's read Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Starting today, we're going to be jumping, as it was announced and read, we're going to be jumping into the book of Colossians. And I know, I know what you guys are thinking when we're reading Colossians. You're like, oh my goodness, it's not a story. It's a letter written by this, this guy named Paul to a church many, many years ago. So... It's, I think it's harder to actually preach from something like letters versus stories because we all love stories. We could catch stories. And as we were going through parable, I think, you know, parables are really fun because there, there are lots of stories that we can relate to. And I think we're shifting and I, I, I pray God's going to still use our time in the letters. We want to preach all of scripture, not only stories, but also the letters as well. Uh, we're going to be here for about two months. We're not going to spend like forever. I, I spent, I think, four weeks, uh, four, four months on other, other letters. We're going to go quickly. I'm going to align this teaching with our community group. So I want to really encourage you guys. If you guys, you guys want to dialogue and process this in our community, please do that. I forgot one more thing before. We had so many announcements today. Okay, final announcement. New daily prayer project is out for you to grab coffee. We have physical copies in the back for you. You could also get a digital copy. You know, so you're like, why do we announce this almost every other week? This is very intentional. We really want, uh, all of us out of COVID has really struggled. I believe it's been really hard for us to keep up with our daily devotional, sort of keep up with our time with the Lord. And, and this is a really wonderful tool. It's, it's, it's a wonderful tool that's created by organization North America. It's a wonderful tool where you can just every day help us walk through our daily office to, to go through the liturgy, to be able to shape uh, us and give us moment out of our busy schedule to be able to focus on the Lord. So I really want to encourage you guys as church, we're going through this as well. Grab a copy and join us, uh, pray through the scripture, the reading, and, and join the greater church as the material uh, presents, um, presents that. Okay, back to Colossians. Um, you know, we plan, I don't know if you know this, uh, we plan our preaching calendar year ahead. So I sort of know what I'll be preaching in 2021, 
at the end of the year. I know what I'll be preaching in 2022. So part of um, in our planning last year, as we're praying about 2022, we really strongly felt like we needed to we needed to to really really focus us on this idea of restoring our sense of all, and we began last year with this topic of restoring our sense of all, all of God. Because if you think about it, this is an area of our lives, our all, that deeply impacts everything we do. It deeply impacts what we value. Whatever your, your, your heart is all about, whatever your, your, you are all about in this season, whether that's golf, whether that's football, whether that's a car, whether that's a relationship, it will really impact the way we make decisions, what we consume, what we pursue. Uh, I love football, American football. Not many people love American fo- football in Korea, but I love football. And my team, uh, Washington Commanders, we have a new name, we have a new season. And, and last two weeks, I've just been spending on a time on, we're not a very popular team, we're, we're not very good. So I'm on YouTube, like listening to Joe Schmo with like five, five views, listening to their perspective because I want more. I want to hear more about our team, right? Sort of, sort of that thing. And whatever we are, our hearts are, 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 are aligning now, and it really impacts what we consume, what you pursue, what we prioritize. It directly impacts the way, uh, you know, the way we work, the way we, what we choose to work for what we choose to engage, and how we choose to rest and, and play. In fact, it's not an overstatement. We said this at the beginning of the year in the series. All the challenges and temptations and problems that are facing you, that are facing our society, are a result of misalignment in this area. It is the very thing that shapes our greatest moments of joy and our deepest moments of sorrow. What do we awe in? Hence, part of planning for the year, as we begin the year with uh, this theme of awe, we wanted to go through Colossians because the book of Colossians does a wonderful job of helping us in this particular area. And the book, the letter that Paul writes to this young church in Colossae, speaks directly into this area of the motivation of our heart. So today, as it was read, we're going to be studying through the first 14 verses. Again, this is a letter written by a man named Paul. We know him as an Apostle Paul. To a young church, a young budding church in the city of Colossians. And Paul writes, uh, instead of visiting, because according to most scholars, they believe he is under house arrest and he cannot, he's not free to visit the church. He writes to encourage the young church, but also to really address some of the false teaching that had entered the community. There were some false teachers that came into the city and started teaching a, a, a something that is beyond gospel, and Paul, is, Paul needs to address this heresy. So this is really the occasion of the letter. And so, so for today, I want to uh, turn our attention to three things that I think we can glean from first 14 verses of the letter. One, celebrating God's faithful work in the community. Two, ceaselessly praying for God's 
God's community. Three, cementing all things in Christ. Three C's. That was really hard. It took me a while, okay? Appreciate three C's. So first, celebration. Verse 3, Paul begins the, the, the letter with these wonderful words of celebration and gratitude. We always thank God for verse 4, for since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you had for all the saints. Right, Paul begins with these words uh, because there was something really wonderful that was happening in this church, in the city of Colossae. The city of Colossae was located about 80 miles inland from the city of Ephesus, where Paul did a long-time ministry. And today it's located in the western part of Turkey. If you've been to Turkey, wonderful country, it's located today in the western part of Turkey. At the time of the letter, the city, of, the city uh, was small in size. It was declining in many ways. And it was much smaller than its, its, its more important neighboring cities. But it had one thing that was very important. It, it was, it was in the, right, right in the smack of a very important highway at the time. And the location of it being a strategic location with this big highway uh, brought many people, many people with different backgrounds to the city, traveling from different places, people of different language, different culture, different makeup, sort of like what we see in our church. And the city was actually known for its diversity because of this highway and known for many religious ideas and philosophical viewpoints. In fact, they not only coexisted in this city of Colossae, but these ideas not only thrive, but even often mixed together. That was sort of what the city was known for, many philosophical ideas, religious ideas that mixed together. And this helps us understand how some of these false teachings have entered the church as well, which again caused great division and havoc, which Paul will deal with extensively as we walk through the letter. And also, although Paul had great influence in the church, uh, he was not the one who planted the church in Colossians. It, it, it was, uh, in fact, he never even got to visit the church. It's one of those churches he never got to visit. He only heard about it through his disciple. Instead, the church was planted by a name, man named Epaphras, a disciple of Paul who had come to Ephesus. And, and he was trained there in, in, in Ephesus as Paul was doing ministry there. And later he returned home to the city of Colossae to plant this community. So that's a little bit of background as we walk through the letter. Uh, but the gospel indeed spread quickly and effectively, like many cities at the time. I mean, as gospel entered these regions, it had this amazing growth. And it, it's one of the reasons the early church was so enticing and puzzling to the rest of the ancient world was not because, it, not because of any other reason than it brought people from very different walks of life together into one community, right? Like city of Colossae, like city of Seoul or New York or big cities. It was a melting pot of different ethnicities, languages, cultures, religious background. Right? There were barbarians. There were slaves. There were, those were free, male, female, Jews, Greek, educated, and uneducated, joined hands together and sat down together to break bread in this early church. 
and, and the ancient world has never witnessed a community that was held together not by some ge ge geographical accidents or common language or, 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 or being conquered by the same conqueror, but it was something quite unique and special that such a different group of people, different social class, different culture, different language, different background will come together to break bread and become one community. And really, that was what really um, the work of God, the Holy Spirit, but also that was, that was really what made uh, the growth happen really quickly. Uh, because the early churches did not have nice buildings. We, we meet in a very nice building. Uh, they didn't have these beautiful facilities. They didn't have all these wonderful instruments that we, we, we play. They just had this sense of unique community where people from different places and different backgrounds come and, and gather under the name of Christ. And, and, and so really, when we, when we first thing that we want to glean as, we, as Paul celebrates is that, friends, our, 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 this, is, this is the prayer for our community as I think about where we are as a, as a, as a young church. Uh, and, and really, reminder to myself that, that people will not come to faith because we have these wonderful facilities or these well-prepared services or, or these nice location. I mean, other church people might move churches and they might join a new community, but really non-Christians will not come to church because we have these wonderful, wonderful things. At least they won't stay. The greatest way to witness, and this is what Paul celebrates, is to love people well to treat people like you want to be treated. I mean, this is common sense. Nothing new, but very, very important. And again, our non-Christian friends, we have non-Christian friends all over us. We may have some non-Christians in this place. Our non-Christian friends and neighbors will never ask you or me to bring them to church because we are highly successful in what we do. No. See, they will only be curious when we learn to love them well. I have a neighbor on the 14th floor. And, um, and all, the, all the guys in our apartment, we take the trash at the same time because Sunday's the trash day. I don't know what system you have. And, you know, going back and forth. And we have a 14th floor guy has two twins, uh, same age as uh, my first daughter. We just chat here and there. We hang out. And, and after a while... You know, he was just like, what do you do? You wear the most comfortable clothes. You come in and out. You know, you don't speak Korean that well. We, you know, we just, you know, like, what are you, a businessman? What, what do you do? And, and, you know, I don't like telling at least Koreans that I'm a pastor because there is a certain stereotype, right? I didn't want to be that pastor in the eighth floor and that guy has to be like, and at the end, I, I, I couldn't be like, oh, I'm an English uh, profession. You know, I, I couldn't lie. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm a pastor. Don't don't freak out. Uh, and and but because we have built that relationship, because we had many conversations about marriage and parenting before he asked, I think he's like, dude, I want to come to your church. I, I feel like you know I could relate to you. You're you're pretty. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to say cool, but you're, you're you're a decent dude. You're a normal dude. You're not you're not this suit wearing, you know, this stoic. You know, so so I think. I realize it's, 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 it's not success, but it's actually the way we are able to love. And it's the small ways that we love people, right? 
Uh, again, our friends, uh, at least non-Christian friends, will not come because we're highly successful. We are able to uh, come off this as this very successful person. But really, it's it's the way we love. That's what Paul says in, in the letter. The, the faith in Jesus and the way they love all saints. And truth is, there are many, and I have met many in the church, honest, upstanding, theologically well-versed people in the church who are unloving. I, I, I share with you, I'll sit down with somebody and they'll be like, dude, I hate my boss. And I'll be like, why do you hate your boss? And and, and later I find out all the things that this person does. And at the end, they're like, well, he's making me come to church. He's Christian. He, he's like an elder of the church. And I'm just like, how does that? And we've, we've experienced it ourselves. And we also struggle. We're not perfect bosses as Christians. But, but, but at least there's got to be, there, there's such a disconnect. And there are many people in the church who, 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 who give so well to the church, who serve their community really well, and turn around and go to their work or other places. And they're just really terrible people. And Paul says that's, there's a disconnect there. There's nothing more tragic for Christians to, to grow in their knowledge of God and yet remain unloving. And this sounds so fundamental and elementary, but it is so true if you really think about relationships in our lives. So, so friends, we have a wonderful opportunity to really model true community that is not bound by our self-interest, but something radically different. I mean, if you just look around, right, those two to three minutes, some of us hate that two, three minutes when we, when we ask you to walk around. None of, like some of you guys are just like, okay, I'm just looking at my phone, right? Because um, it's awkward. It's hard. Because we're, why? One of the reasons is because we have no common, common interests. We're very different the way we look. Uh, some of us come from different, we, we come from different language, different experience, different culture, different social class, different interests. We're radically different. Um, yet, we have, God has brought us together in this season. Every week, we still gather. You still come enduring those like two to five minutes. I know it makes you uncomfortable, but you still come to, to sing, to pray, to share, to encourage one another. And this is something I think unique and special about the local church. The local community. We get to be able to come every week, even though we're so different and our styles are different. Some of you guys are like, dude, I grew up in a church. We did, we did nothing like this. Yet you're still here because what brings us together is not our self-interest, but it's Jesus. So I think we should celebrate that. I think that's something to be celebrated. Right? When I went home for those four weeks in the summer, when I visited these churches, I missed our church. I was like, dude, I miss our church. I, I, I realized we have something very special. Not that we're like better than other churches, but we have something really good and special. We have genuine people that want to do life together. So we celebrate that like Paul is celebrating in the beginning of the letter. And I'll be the first one to tell you, this is not a perfect community. Uh, you're, you're shocked by that? I'm sure you're not shocked by that, right? Not even close. We, in five years, we've gone through our share of drama, conflicts, growing pains. 
And there, and now I'm not going to guarantee now that, oh, you're not going to have any drama in this church. You're going to love everybody and everyone's going to get along. No, that's not true. Right? We're imperfect people trying to do life together. I'm imperfect, imperfect pastor and we're, we're trying to make this work. We're going to struggle. Yet again, we, I, I really believe we have genuine people that love Jesus and that want to see each other flourish. And I'm just thankful, really thankful for this season of our church. So we celebrate that, amen? Just like Paul celebrates, let's celebrate that. Only like one person's like, okay. Uh, second, ceaselessly pray. Verse 9, Paul now uh, goes on and says, From the day we've heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's verse 9. And what was Paul's primary prayer for the church? Verse 9b, Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled up with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, everyone, we got to circle knowledge. We have ceaselessly prayed, asking that you may be filled up with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. A little background to understand the significance of Paul's words here. At the time of the letter, again, the church was struggling with these false teachers who have entered the community. And these false teachers, most scholars believe it was early teachings of Gnosticism. Everyone say Gnosticism. The very word for Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, knowledge. You see, to the Gnostics, these false teachers, anything that was created, anything physical was evil. That only what was deemed as spiritual was considered good. There was this dualistic idea of anything that was physical, anything you can touch, this table, our body, evil. Anything that's spiritual, in a spiritual realm, it was good. And this came to direct conflict with the foundational belief of Christianity, right? Because they argued that God could not have created the world because being perfect being, he would not have messed with anything that is evil. Well, this is argument. And again, this came into direct conflict because if the ultimate God could not be involved in the, the creative process, the incarnation, the Jesus becoming a man, that was also not true, that Jesus is not God. Jesus couldn't be God. He couldn't enter evil. So to Gnostics, Christ was not a creator, and the incarnation was not real. And therefore, though he's important, they say he's important, faith in Christ was just the entrance to faith, not the whole thing. So these false teachers built an extensive system by which everyone had to go through in order to be truly saved. That Christ, you entered faith through Christ, but there were more that you needed to do. It's like leveling up. You got to get to a certain level to be truly saved. Which involve these Jewish disciplines, uh, understanding of astrology, like you got you got understand these secret codes, and some elements of Christianity it was very complex and heavily intellectual. And they and these false teachers held people hostage by by 
telling them there's a secret knowledge beyond Christ that you needed to know in order to truly become saved. And they kept preaching. Again, Jesus was a good starting point. Jesus is good. He's not bad. He's, the, he's only a starting point. Yet if anyone wanted to truly be saved, they needed to go further. And this, of course, this worked because this is human Humanity's default mode, right? This desire, this need to be to 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 really work ourselves to faith, right? To to really be elite, to be better than others. This system works. Um, airlines. Whenever I travel, I buy the cheapest ticket. I, I'm not committed to any airlines because I, you know, I, I don't fly that often, and I just go for the cheapest option, right? Uh, and every time I travel, these airlines, I realize they do an amazing job of letting me know that I am at the bottom of their class ranking. You guys ever travel? And some of you guys are like businessmen. You guys always travel. You guys get the lounge and get the get to enter the airplane first. Get sit in nice seats. You know, I'm like six one, two hundred pounds. I'm like squeezed into like the tiniest seat, right? I can't even talk to the to to the lady for some water, right? Um, you know, where I see the food I get, the type of different water bottles they serve. I'm just like, wow, like, we're not human here. I'm not human here. Um, every little thing that they do, they do it to remind me that I'm not special in this, in this, you know, class. Um, and I have friends. I have, like, single friends that will spend unbelievable amounts of money annually just to keep their elite status. They'll like fly to Europe on business class so that they could, you know, because these statuses, if you don't actually like continue to use their service, you you downgrade. Like this, this is crazy, right? But you know what? After like seeing what my friends get versus what I get, I'm just like, dude, I want that too. That's human nature. We all want to feel special. We all want the pilot to come and say, hello, thanks for flying with us again. I mean, I think that happens too. Um, and that's sort of how Gnosticism worked in the church. It was really appealing to these young Christians because it was like, oh, we can level up and we could be even even better than other, other people. So right off the bat, Paul does not shy away from this issue. And he confronts it with these words. In verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you, asking you will continue to be filled up with knowledge of Christ. Not human knowledge, not some made-up system, not some secret code, but Christ. It's Jesus. You see the Greek word that Paul uses for verse 9, knowledge, speaks directly into this idea of knowing God intimately. That's the word that Paul uses to confront these false belief. So friends, the formula, what Paul sees, the formula is not Jesus plus something else. It's always more of Jesus. It's not Jesus plus serving. It's not Jesus plus fasting. It's not Jesus plus giving. It's not Jesus plus morning prayer. Some of you guys have grown up in a Korean church. I was talking to my I was talking to that guy, 14th floor guy, and he's like, you know, Korean church, there are two different classes of Christians. I'm like, dude, get out of here. He's like, there's morning prayer going Christians, and there's non-morning prayer going Christians. And I was like, wow, like I would be second class. No, no, morning prayers are great. I don't want to get in trouble by knocking morning. Morning prayers are great. 
But it, but but morning prayers are not going to save us, right? It, it, it's 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 always not Jesus plus, but it's more of Jesus, more of who He is, more of His wisdom, His words, His perspective, and His vision. And really, Paul wants his young church to realize, hey guys, you don't need extra knowledge. You don't need this secret code. You don't need to level up in Christianity. You need to mature, but it's not about these, these things. It's only Jesus. You've entered your salvation through Jesus. Now you want something else? And in some ways, this is a real challenge also for the modern-day Christianity, including our community. And I think so much of Today's Christianity focuses on great teaching, right? Because part of the Gnosticism was having this intellect. It was like very intellectual and complex. And, and, and church, modern day church, largely we love great teaching. I love great teaching. We love great teaching. We love great books. We love, we have our favorite preachers. Uh, on weekly basis, I hear people outside of our community, because you're not going to be honest with me. I hear people outside of our community, they'll tell me, oh, I like this preacher. I don't like this preacher. I'm not going to church because I didn't like my preacher's sermons. I'm like, dude, I'm a pastor too, but have some, have some nunchi. Um, nunchi is like, dude, you're talking to a pastor too, man. I have feelings. Um, and they have all these comments about the preacher. It's boring. It's not intellectual enough. He's just, you know, like, it's not engaging enough. You fill in the blank. And I'm like, dude, it's so hard to be a pastor. Like, like I'm thinking, whoa, what, what does my church people think about, think about me? Oh, my goodness. Um, and, 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 and there's a little bit of Christian snob, snobbity. We have a lot of, a little bit of Christian snobs because we feel like we know more, we know better, and we read Keller, and I love Keller, and Keller's great, but I mean, like, you don't read Keller? Oh, you, Joel Osteen, come on, are you serious? Like, we have some of that. Come on, let's be honest. You know, friends, we, we can love Pastor Keller, and I do. He's fantastic. We can love C.S. Lewis. We can love... And he writes, you, you, you name your favorite scholar, Kenneth Bailey, whoever. You're like, I don't know any of them. Good, you're in a good place. Yet I don't think many churches are struggling because churches are struggling because we haven't read more. And I think it's because perhaps unintentionally, and I'm guilty of this, that we have majored in minor things. I'm not saying... Preaching is not important. Preaching, I spent half of my weeks preparing sermons, so I'm not saying that. But, but sometimes we can be so intellectual in our faith that we forget Jesus. We forget the simplest way to connect with Jesus. We'll read C.S. Lewis hours and hours and we'll never spend uh, uh, you know, five minutes praying, coming to Jesus ourselves. So friends, we need more of Jesus, more of Jesus in our community, more of Jesus in our own lives. Books are great. Sound theology is essential, yes, yet they themselves cannot save us. Amen? Lewis lovers, amen? This naturally leads us to the third and final point, and I'm done here. The third thing is to cement our faith in Christ and Him only. 
Verse 11 to 12, being, Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanksgiving to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Gosh, Paul, you're, that's, such, that's so much in one sentence. Uh, but, but the word that we want to focus on is the word qualified. I want to say qualified. See, Paul says, we find our strength, we find the ways to endure, we can be patient and even be joyful because Jesus has qualified us. Not some knowledge, not some ways of Gnosticism, but because he is the one who has qualified us. The word in Greek to qualify is hikanu, hikanu, right? Which literally means to make sufficient, that's the literal original meaning of this word, hikanu. And so Paul here is once again confronting the false teacher's claim that Christ is the good starting point, but he is not sufficient. Paul says, no, everything we have, we have them because of the sufficient Savior, the supreme Savior, Jesus. And this phrase, hikanu in the text is an aorist form. I'm getting really, really technical. I'm sorry. I apologize. Don't fall asleep. Aorist form, which signals the, 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 the qualifying work has already been done, accomplished. This is not a future reality that Paul is speaking about when Christ comes back. He says, no, it's done now that you have been qualified. You don't need to wait for some secret knowledge that Christ already did it for you. Paul continues in verse 13. He has delivered us, you and I, from the domain of darkness and transferred through him to the kingdom of his beloved son. I think the word, again, to circle is transferred. The word transferred, biblically, this particular word is used in other places to describe imagery of a king going into battle to rescue his people back to their homeland. Right? So, so what Paul says, Christ is not only sufficient, he's not the only one who has qualified us, he's also the one who has fought the battle on our behalf. So Paul says, don't let these false teachers tell you that you need to fight your own battles. You need to level up or you need to do all of these things to truly be saved. No, the battle has been already won. This is a present reality that you not only have been qualified, but you also have been rescued by the king of kings. In verse 14, he ends our passage or, or our first part of the letter with these words. It's in Christ whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for redemption speaks of someone going to a slave market. At the time, there was slavery, different from North American slavery, but yet there was a slavery. And this imagery of people going to slave market to purchase or to hire slaves. And Paul says, that's our present reality. He has not only qualified us. He has not only transferred us. He has fully redeemed us as his own. Enough Greek. I'm done with Greek. Back. Friends, this is the gospel. 
We who were enslaved by own, our own failures, by failures of others. We who were unable, unwilling to save ourselves. God the Son, the amazing King, came for us. And he's the ultimate king who came to battle on our behalf, knowing fully that eventually he would have to give up his life for ours. Yet the scripture tells us he did it joyfully, and we have been purchased, we have been transferred, and we have been redeemed into the kingdom of light. Therefore, our faith is not based on our own qualification, our own victory, our own sense of righteousness. It's Him. We need Him. And as we continue to cling on to Christ, cement our faith in Christ, verse 12, 13, Paul says, He will give us endurance and patience to stay the course despite real challenges. Okay, some of you guys, we have some real challenges on hand. You don't like your spouse. You don't like your child right now. You're really struggling with your boss. Someone's raising their hand in the back. Maybe they're not. Okay. You don't like. There's some real challenges. Let's be honest. Yet, as we continue to stay the course, continue to cement our faith in Christ, we're going to be able to come out of the other side victorious. And Paul says he will give us strength to live in gratitude. Some of you guys, we are not thankful. You walk up and you're like, God, I don't like my life. God, I don't like how you are planning out my life. I don't like what's happening. I don't know what's happening. Yet if you cement your life in Christ, there's a promise that on the other side, you will come out victorious. And I think that's, that's wonderful news about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. Amen? Did I totally miss you guys? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Amen? Let's pray. Celebrate, ceaselessly pray, and cement our faith in Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for um, the letter of Colossians. Many years ago, You knew this letter will be used not only to encourage the church in Colossae, but people in this room. And Lord, you know uh, the challenges, the struggles, battles that exist in our lives. You know that the battles that no one else knows. So Jesus, we come trusting in your word. We come asking that you would cement us in Christ. God, we celebrate this community that is so unique, yet so sweet. We celebrate and we are grateful for the work that you begin in this community and the work you are doing, the work you will finish. And Lord, we continue to pray, joining Paul in that prayer. That it would be all about Christ. That our faith is cemented in Christ. We thank you. We love you. Just send me prayer.